0: You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We are on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. As mentioned in our last episode, the early Welsh Particular Baptist churches regularly met in association. One of the many things that came out of those meetings was a small book entitled An Antidote Against the Infection of the Times or A Faithful Watchword from Mount Zion to Prevent the Ruin of Souls. It was almost certainly written by John Miles for the churches. He was 35 at the time. It was printed in London for a bookseller named Thomas Brewster, who had produced a Welsh-language Bible in 1654. He also sold many works by Thomas Collier, while that man was still in his relatively orthodox stage, as well as many other books in Welsh, including a book of Psalms. A number of his works were advertised, to use his own words, as against the Quakers. So he seems to have had a connection with the West Country Baptists of England and Wales. It's interesting that he brought out an antidote in the same year that he sold copies of Collier's Confession of Faith, also known as the Somerset Confession, which, as you may recall from our previous episodes, while orthodox, was quite deficient in some of the fundamentals of the faith. The elders and messengers of the eight churches behind the antidote's writing met in central Wales on March 29 and 30 of 1656. From the title page, it is clear that they had three audiences in mind. Sinners, by which they meant the unconverted, saints, and backsliders. Each were addressed in separate sections of the book. There was a special emphasis also on avoiding the errors of Quakerism, which was just beginning to spread in the area. I'm going to read a few short sections of the first part of the book, Addressed to the Lost, but before I do, let me make a few summary points. First, this is a strong scriptural and doctrinal First, there is a strong scriptural and doctrinal flavor to the writing. The Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, is constantly quoted or referred to and the truths of the gospel are richly and thoroughly presented to the sinner. It's obvious they believe that only the word of God could convert the lost. Secondly, it is clearly Calvinistic in its doctrine. For example, man's sinful condition is declared in depth with no apology. Third, it has a high view of the pastoral office and the privilege and responsibility of such men to preach the gospel freely to the lost. They overtly declare their belief in the use of means, and they call the lost to repentance and faith. Fourthly, although their audience was largely poor and uneducated, they nevertheless spoke plainly, directly, and passionately to them. They didn't excuse their fellow countrymen's lost condition, but laid the responsibility directly at their own feet. All of these traits characterized the Welsh Particular Baptists, and they brought this to the English colonies, and it goes a long way in explaining why the early colonial Baptist life was usually healthy, evangelistic, and God-glorifying. Miles wrote nine considerations in what he called their faithful watchword to sinners. Their hope was the conversion of all who read or heard. Let me quickly summarize the nine parts and read a few words from some of the sections. I hope you enjoy their passionate and precise presentation of the truth. The first section is about original sin. They explained that man's misery was rooted in Adam's representative sin, which impacted every man. So men are conceived in sin and practice sin. In this, they are hopeless and helpless, and while they do act, they act from an evil heart of unbelief. And so they conclude this first point by saying, quote, Consider, we beseech you, these things, all ye that forget God, lest he tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver you, and that you will not be able to stand before the consuming fire and everlasting burnings in that day when he comes in flaming fire to take vengeance on all that know not God. Clearly, these are not the words of men who fear men, but fear God. The second section is about Christ crucified. This section is so rich, especially when compared to Collier's teaching. It reads like an expansion of the Apostles' Creed. God hath sent forth a deliverer mighty and able to save even Jesus Christ the righteous, the eternal and only begotten Son of the Father, who according to the eternal purpose of God in the fullness of time took on him our nature, even the seed of Abraham, being conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, was born in Bethlehem and being a perfect man consisting of body and soul, subject only to natural, not sinful frailties, filled also with the fullness of the Godhead, and inseparably united thereto, to the end that he might thereby be able to sanctify himself to be a sufficient price to satisfy the infinite justice of God for the infinite guilt of man's transgression, and by the eternal Spirit to offer up himself without spot to God to purge our consciences accordingly by his most cruel death upon the cross, become a sacrifice, a sweet-smelling savor. Inasmuch as God hath declared satisfaction thereby for the sins of his people, that they have need no more for other sacrifice for sin, he having by death given full satisfaction and obtained eternal redemption for them. What a beautiful and rich portrayal of Christ Jesus. The third section is called Christ Raised. Here, the resurrection is asserted and then defended from many scripture texts. The section concludes this way. It was manifest that his Godhead continued united to his manhood. So as it is plain that Christ God-man is risen from the dead. That phrase, Christ, God, man, is used frequently in the book. It's one I haven't seen before. But what an accurate and lovely way to state the truth that the Christ was both God and man. The next section is about Christ ascended. The bodily ascension of Christ to heaven is stated and defended against the Quaker claim that heaven wasn't a place except in men's soul, Many scripture proofs are given and they end saying this, We have Christ's own testimony that he would ascend. We have the testimony of the angels to the apostles and of the apostles to us that he is ascended. So be not deceived, but rather labor to make sure your interest in him, that is Christ, so you may reap the benefits and comforts of his ascension into heaven. The fifth consideration are the two purposes of Christ's ascension. These are the perfecting of the saint's salvation and to rule in the height of all majesty and glory. The sixth consideration is Christ's return. The bodily return of Christ, with all its glories for believers, is thoroughly presented. But the wicked are warned about his coming in these words. Also shall the wicked be by his power forced to rise. Yea, the earth, sea, and hell will not dare to keep one atom of their dust, but will deliver up all at the voice of the great Creator when his trump sounds for them to judgment. Therefore awake, thou that sleepest in sin, come to Christ, that you may have the life of grace here and glory hereafter." The seventh consideration is about Christ alone. It publishes the truth that, quote, There is no other way for miserable man to be saved but by him alone who of God is made unto such as receive him wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In Scripture, he is held forth as the freeness of justification by God alone, the means of righteousness without our works, which is even by faith. The scriptures woven through this argument are truly wonderful. These men knew their Bibles and healthy Protestant doctrine. The eighth consideration is the danger of delusion. They warned about being deluded in these last days by a false Christ or a half-Christ. By this, they meant a divine-only Christ or a human-only Christ. They go on, quote, As you love your souls, beware of such delusions, lest you perish eternally. It is Christ God-man, there's that phrase again, it is Christ God-man, dead, risen, and ever-living to intercede, that must save you. Well, the final section is about effectual calling. The final consideration urges readers to use the means appointed by God to bring them and to keep them in Christ. They then list two means that they should pay special attention to. First, the Holy Scriptures, which are the Word of God and truly display, as they say, the law and the gospel. And second, and very interestingly, they pressed their readers to, quote, in the fear of God, to look upon the ministers of the gospel as God's ambassadors, to whom he hath committed the ministry of reconciliation, to woo and betroth souls to Christ, yea, also to build up and establish the called people of God. This portion of the book then ends with the free offer of the gospel in these terms. Be invited, therefore, all ye that desire your own salvation to frequent the ministry of the word, that your souls may live, and see that you esteem very highly the ministers thereof for their work's sake, knowing that he that despiseth despiseth not man but God. Condemn not their persons, but reverence their calling and ministry, waiting upon the Lord daily under the droppings thereof, as the cripple at the pool of Bethesda. And be sure that at last you shall find him and be healed, for he has promised that such as seek him early at his own gates and doors shall find him. Remember that he has long been calling you, that the time past of your life is enough to serve the world, flesh, and Satan, together with the danger of not hearkening to him, the certainty of death, and after that the judgment, as also the blessed privileges and benefits that come by receiving him, and speedily, humbly, and boldly come to him, whose arms are spread and whose heart is open to receive you. We can no doubt improve our own preaching and witness from this excellent example of 17th century particular Baptist evangelism. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace.